Well, welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Great to have you with us today. Today, we're concluding our series on Corinthians. It's been a great 14-week journey through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, talking about how the church can be in true unity by dealing with our issues, our problems, so that we can become everything that God has desired us to be. If you miss any of those messages, make sure you go back on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, however you're watching, and watch those videos, uh, catch up on those uh, chapters, those lessons, so you can fully understand these two books. And when you're there, make sure you subscribe, you like, whatever you need to do, so that you don't miss any messages in the future. Today, we really want to, as we conclude this study on being a healthy church, that we want to realize that we are becoming healthy so that God can get all the glory, so that God's will can be accomplished. Not so that we could ever boast about ourselves, but so that we can boast about God, that we can boast about what God is doing in our weakness. And we'll get to that in a little bit because that's all what this message is about today. Today we're going to be covering a lot of ground. We're going to be going through chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. So we're not going to read all of the chapters like we might normally do, but we're going to read a substantial amount of scripture still. But before we jump into this message of uh, chapters 10 through 13 of 2 Corinthians, I need you to go ahead and repeat after me. Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Well, before I jump in and read this first passage today, I want you to recognize another tonal shift that's happening. It's happened quite a few times through these books, and there's a particular one that happens right at chapter 10. And scholars are actually split on this, that some scholars believe that 2 Corinthians is all one letter, and some uh, scholars believe it was actually two letters, and that chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 is a secondary letter that has been attached uh, after the fact to 2 Corinthians. Now, it doesn't change the authorship of being Paul. It doesn't change the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it's almost like he's going back and dealing with a topic that he's already dealt with. We see we just came out of some instruction last week. We talked about giving and preparing to uh, to give to this offering that was going to be going to the Jerusalem believers. And then in chapter 10, there's a shift that happens. The verbiage sounds very similar to earlier in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians, where he's dealing with false teachers and people making accusations about him. So with that in mind, listen to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence, as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. 
Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodial presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Something that I notice so much in Christian culture today is a desire to destroy other ministries from afar. The church is having success. Then let's talk about why all they care about is people in attendance, the butts and seats, that they're doing some great things for God. Let's talk about why all they care about is money. Let's question their theology. Let's question their music. Let's question, and there's a lot of questioning going on. Matthew chapter 18 talks about what we should do as a, a Christian when we have an issue with another Christian, a, a brother or sister in the faith. And really the very first step is we need to deal with that person directly. Talk with them, talk it out, ask questions. And so often it's easy to take shots at other people without doing that. The, the first step is to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Well, sometimes with a ministry leader from afar, you may not have that ability to have that conversation with them, then we probably need to be silent about it. Because if we don't understand their heart and what they're doing, then who are we to question what they're doing? That there's individuals within their church, their leadership, that that's their job to, to deal with that. And when that doesn't work properly, then they go to uh, bringing other people involved. And there's a whole process. Read chapter 18 of Matthew, and you'll see how that plays itself out. But from afar, we like to take shots at people when they're having success. And so often it takes us out of unity because we're looking to tear somebody down so that we can tear them below us. Instead of doing what God has called us to do and building up what God has called us to, we try tearing someone else down so it feels like we're actually higher. And this is really what's happening here that Paul is, is dealing with, is that yet again, false teachers or individuals are questioning Paul, they're challenging Paul, and that in this particular instance, here is what happens. They are questioning him, and they are saying that, well, Paul doesn't have it all together, that there's issues with Paul, and when he's in person, when he's in person, this is what he's doing. He's very meek, he's very mild, but when he is uh, writing you a letter, He's very bold and he's aggressive and he's going to, to say things to you. So today I've got two things and the, the individual that I want to share from, because this, this brings something very uh, real to light to me, because there's a, a pastor that I really like watching, following. His, his name is Francis Chan. Here's a picture of what he looks like. I want to read you now a passage from Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. It's about the Holy Spirit and it's a book being written to the church, in essence, a letter being written to the church about the Holy Spirit and why we should seek after him. So I want you to listen to this passage. My guess is that you would love to be filled with supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. You probably wouldn't be reading this book if you didn't. The question I want to ask is why? Recently, a man dying of cancer asked the church elders to anoint him with oil and pray for his healing. 
Before we prayed, however, I asked the man a question I don't normally ask. Why do you want to be healed? Why do you want to stay on this earth? The man, as well as everyone else around, seemed a bit surprised that I would ask such a blunt question. The reason I probe like this is because in the epistle of James, we are reminded that we often don't receive the answers to our prayers because we ask for the wrong reasons. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Our desire to live should be for the sake and glory of the God who put us on this earth in the first place. So really, why do you desire the Holy Spirit's activity in your life? Do you want to experience more of the Holy Spirit merely for your own benefit? When the answer is yes, then we are no different from Simon the Magician who tried to buy the Holy Spirit's power from the Apostles. Paul's response to Simon in that situation was strong. He said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Acts 8.20 The Holy Spirit is not a commodity to be bought or traded according to our individual wants, whims, or even our felt needs. We absolutely cannot have this discussion about the Holy Spirit without calling our motives into question. Right now, I want you to take a break from reading and spend some time asking yourself why you want the Holy Spirit. Is it for power? Is it for your own betterment and purposes? Or is it because you want to experience all that God has for you? Is it because you love the church and desire to be a better servant to your sisters and brothers? And so when I hear that, and I was introduced to Francis Chan through his writing, I took him to be an individual that was a very bold Pentecostal pastor. Because why would he write these things? He has another book, Crazy Love, that's very similar, that it's very bold, it's very calling people out and, and dealing with issues. But then I went and I watched a message of his for the first time, and I got a different vibe. And so I want you now to watch, it's about a two-minute clip of Francis Chan preaching, so I want you to watch this clip now. He says, when you are born of God, his seed enters into you. And because he lives inside of you, you can't keep sinning. Because it, it's, it's just like my children. They can't stop looking like me. I'm in them. My DNA is in them. In the same way, God here is saying, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the, de of the devil. And whoever has the God's seed abiding inside of him. Again, it's about what's inside. Man, church has become this thing where everyone needs an accountability group. And if they don't call you that week, you're going to fall back into your sin. Oh, it's my accountability group's fault. They didn't hold me accountable. They're supposed to call me on Tuesday and Thursday. And, and they, they missed a week. And so that's why I fell back into sin. And it's because my pastor doesn't preach this message hard enough. It's because of this and this and this. It's because of this temptation, this temptation. No, it could be because the Spirit of God doesn't live in you if you need people to beg you like come on please just read just read the bible three minutes a day try to pray maybe four minutes a day and just work your so if you need someone to beg you if you need someone to beg you to get the sin out of your life nothing's happening inside I just remember, you know, when I first came to know Jesus, man, in high school, there was something inside of me. You couldn't have stopped me. Like, I wanted to be with God. 
I want to know him. I want to learn about him. My youth pastor didn't have to beg me. And when I would get alone, it's like I would know what was sinful in my life and I couldn't live with it anymore. That's why the Bible says, he's saying, look, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now that you've watched that clip, you might be able to see what I'm, I'm trying to get at. In his writing, he's very bold. In his preaching, yes, he's passionate, but it kind of has a more, I don't know how I want to say this to you type of feel. It's a, a little bit of a weird dynamic because I expected one thing, but the presentation through the verbal communication is different. What I see as the preacher doesn't seem to match up with the way I read it. Now, there's some pastors that when I read their writing and I watch their teaching, it feels like it's the same person. When I read Francis Chan's book to when I listen to him preach, it feels like two totally different individuals. And I think this is what's really getting at here in chapter 10 is that Paul is saying, you know what, I'm very bold in my writing and I'm the same person in person but I'm much more humble than I might come across in my writing. And I think Francis Chan is a prime example of this. Francis Chan, whether preaching or in writing, has a firm foundation. He has a good handling of scripture. Now, I may not agree with him on 100% of theology, but I feel like he's got a good foundation that it's somebody that I'm willing to listen to. But I could easily lump him into chapter 10 and kind of make that comparison to Paul. And when I do, I could discredit his ministry just simply because I feel like it's two different individuals. And this is what Paul's really getting at is don't discredit me because these people are saying this about me. They're saying that I'm, I'm this, that I'm, I'm not impressive, that I'm, you're throwing away all this ministry, all of this good teaching, all of this, because somebody is questioning me based because my writing and my preaching don't exactly match up. And Christians, we got to be careful about this. We have to be so careful that we're not tearing down other ministries simply because we don't understand or we don't agree with their method. The theology is important. The method can change. The method can change from church to church, location to location, state to state, country to country. But the basis of the information that is presented through those methods cannot change because that's the word of God. And that is what's important that we need to realize that when we fight against one another, what we end up doing is Satan's work for him. That basically Satan is turning Christians against Christians who then fight over small little things that don't matter in the lens of eternity. And then Satan doesn't have to do anything to the Christians. And then all of a sudden, then the world that is lost is looking at the church and watching the church argue about things that will not matter in eternity. And then they want nothing to do with the church. The church is keeping people out of heaven because the church is fighting against itself. I want you to, to hear this, and I think this will help you understand exactly where I'm coming at with that. This is 2 Corinthians 11, now verses 3 through 6. So let's read this together. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 
Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. All right, now let's jump down to verses 12 through 15. Let's read those right now. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Where Paul really gets here is that his primary concern in his ministry is that people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He cannot waste his energy and his time concerning, well, this church is doing it slightly different than me, and this church is meeting on a different day, and this is happening, and that's happening. And we need to stop picking at other churches and other ministries. Christians, we need to realize that we are all on the same team, even if it looks different. That if somebody preaches the good news, which is man has fallen and is in sin, is in desperate need of a Savior, and that God came down in the form of man as Jesus, who lived a perfect life, was a great teacher, a great individual, but ultimately lived a sinless life so that he could be sacrificed to fulfill the old covenant, that he died on the cross, that he was resurrected, bringing the new covenant into play. And now that the new covenant is here, that if we simply believe in Jesus, John 3, 16, that he will forgive us of our sins, that the New Testament tells us as well that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness and that we will be able to ascend into heaven one day, either through death or through the, uh, the rapture, and we will be with God for eternity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. If we all believe on that, we can disagree with some of the theology, but that at the end of the day, we are playing for the same team and we're trying to rescue people from hell and bring them into heaven. If somebody agrees with that, we can work. We can start as a foundation. And the thing is that individuals that are questioning and tearing down Paul, they're tearing down the church that whether intentional or not, they're working on behalf of Satan and they're making people question, is this gospel even good news? Do I really want to have anything to do with this? Do I want to be a part of this? And in the process, people may leave the faith simply because they don't like what they see out of Christians. That Ultimately, these individuals are boasting in themselves and their own ministries instead of boasting about what God is doing, which that's a perfect segue to where we're going next. And that's 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 through 30. So let's read that together. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is 
the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indigent? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Then furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's so easy to make things about us. These teachers, these accusers of Paul are trying to push up their own ministries while tearing down Paul's. And then ultimately, Paul's just saying here, like, look, let's be real. That if we want to compare resumes, here's my resume. Anything that they say that they are, I am too. Anything that they say they've been through, I've been through more. But these things don't matter because we can boast about our strengths. But if we boast about our strengths, we're boasting about what I can do and not what about God can do. That when we focus on our weakness and we share what our weakness is, now all of a sudden I can say, despite my weakness, God's still using me. Despite my failures, God's still using me. Despite my struggles, God's still using me. You see, God can move with or without you. If we focus, well, these are all the things I'm doing for God. God doesn't need you. That God can go through anybody. Look at David and when he becomes king. He was the least of all his brothers. He wasn't the best looking. He wasn't the smartest. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the most physically fit. But he was the one who was after God's heart. That God looked at who was perceived as the weakest and the, the youngest and God used him. So often God used the one that nobody thought that he would use and he would use him or her to accomplish what God's mission was. And when we boast about our weakness, we boast about how God can use our weakness and make it a strength. In our weakness, he is strong. That even in this moment, you hear this passage that we've heard quite a bit about how Paul had this thorn in his side. And we don't really know what the thorn in the side is. Maybe it's somebody who is just annoying him. Maybe it was an illness. Maybe it was something else altogether. Whatever it was that he was asking God to remove it, God wouldn't remove it and ultimately said that it should stay with him and that his grace is sufficient for him and that in that weakness, with that thorn in his flesh, that God was still going to use him, that God was still going to be glorified because he never wanted Paul to think that Paul was doing it on his own, that Paul was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Everybody could say, well, this is my resume. This is my resume. This, these are the things I've done. These are the things I've accomplished for God. It's not about what you've accomplished. It's not about what I've accomplished. It's not about what our church has accomplished. It's about what does God want to do through you, despite you. Not in spite of you, but despite you, despite what you bring to the table, God wants to do things. And now if you have strengths, God can come through and use those. But when we put our focus on our strength and our strength alone, it's about us. It can never be about us because if it becomes about us, God will eventually lead us to a spot where we are humbled. 
And now as we get ready to close this series out, we're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 13. And I want you to hear 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. So let's go ahead and read those verses together. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul ends this chapter in the book of uh, Corinthians by saying, rejoice, that feel and take great joy. What can we take great joy in? Who God is, what God's doing, how God wants to use us. We need to rejoice in things. We need to celebrate things. We need to be excited about things. That going to church shouldn't be something that we dread or something that's, uh, let me check this off my list for the week. Getting to spend time in God's presence should be a joy. It should be something that fills us. And if you're not experiencing that, you're doing it wrong. Because God is love, God is joy, that God can bring joy that surpasses anything of this world. So rejoice, church. Rejoice in what God has for you. The second thing he said is to aim for restoration. Do everything in your power to bring relationships back into proper balance, into proper uh, function. That you want to do this both with yourself to other people, yourself to God, and other people to God. That we want to aim for restoration of relationships so that we are doing what God wants us to do in a proper relationship with proper balance. The third thing is to comfort one another and agree with one another. Now, you don't always have to be correct. Some of you hear that and you instantly say, but, but I am always correct. No, you don't always have to be correct. But we do need to bring comfort to one another. And so often what happens here is if we are called to comfort one another and agree with one another, you may say, well, how do I always agree with one another? We agree about the things that matter and the things that don't matter you know what, if we don't see completely eye to eye, we don't need the debate. We don't need to fight with other people. We don't need to wrestle through things. You might have some friends that you can wrestle and talk through theology with, but just because you do that with someone doesn't mean somebody else wants that. You can create a fight and an argument and uh, disunity. We want to aim to build unity so we agree with one another on the things that matter, that if it's going to cause an argument, we just let it go if it doesn't matter in the eyes of eternity but we are there to comfort one another through our struggles and that we then want to live in peace. Do everything within your power to get along with other people. Because when we decide to say, you know what, I want to live in conflict. What we do is basically say, even though I'm a Christian, even though I believe that God is, is real, that God is good, I'm going to live in conflict with you until you get on my page. No, let's do everything we can to live in peace that we love people so much that they start asking, why are you different? And then it opens the door for us to share why we are different and what God can do in them if we will just allow ourselves to, to put the focus on Jesus and that their life can be changed and transformed. And then it tells us that if we do these things, God will be with you. I don't know about you. I want God with me. I want God in this church. I want God in your life. 
in, in order to do that, that means that we need to do things like rejoicing in the Lord, that we need to aim for restoration between us and God, us and other people, and other people and God, that we need to comfort one another, that we need to agree with one another, that we need to live in peace. And if we do those things, God will be in our midst. And as God is in our midst, God can do some unique, amazing things. That's what it requires for a church to live in unity. Everything we've talked about through First and Second Corinthians we want to be a church living in unity, in proper balance, doing the things that God has called us to do. Because if we will, watch out what God can do in his church. Today, I want to, to pray for you something particular. It's the, the title of today's message. It's keeping the focus on Christ. You see, our focus can go to questioning other ministries, questioning other pastors, questioning other people, questioning and arguing, uh, not living in peace. But if we keep our focus on Christ and God is love and, and who Jesus Christ is, then all of a sudden we will start living in unity with other believers. And as we live in unity with other believers, watch out what the church can do. Do not get distracted by the things of this world, by the arguments of this world, by the problems of this world, because those problems, those arguments, all that will go away one day. But what will not go away is the word of God. In the fact that every soul, every individual that was created in the image of God will either be in hell or heaven. Do not allow the arguments of this world to prevent somebody from making it to heaven because you thought something that happened here on earth was more important. So I want to pray that you and I will keep our focus on Jesus Christ today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for my friends as they watch this message today. Lord, that they would be challenged to keep their focus on you, that they wouldn't be about challenging and arguing other people, but they would be about loving other people and sharing truth and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and convict and challenge those people to live a different way so that you would get all the glory. Lord, I pray right now that their eyes would be set on you and nothing of this world, that when something comes up against them that they want to be distracted by, or that you would just bring them back the proper balance in the proper restoration of relationship with you so that they are able to follow and do what you have called them to do. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. Well, let's end today like we always do. Uh, we're going to say the Great Commission together. Here we go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you so much for joining us as we have made this uh, travel through First and Second Corinthians. I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as me. Again, if you've missed anything, make sure you go back to YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, wherever you're watching this and watch those previous messages. Subscribe, like, so that you don't miss anything in the future. And starting next week, we're going to be diving in to a nine-week series on the parables of Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to it, and I'll see you next time for it.